Good morning, everyone. It's good to share with you in the word and worship today. For most of my life, I've always, maybe by natural gift or appreciation, just had a special interest in language and just the ways that we express ourselves and the words we use and phrases. I think really something we take for granted, the amazing ability to tell someone else how you feel or what you think with just a single word or maybe just a phrase that captures a certain picture that you can draw for someone else. And sometimes even the phrases we use are even more than the words, which to me is an amazing gift we often don't realize. So, for example, if I say to you, people who live in glass houses, you would say, Shouldn't throw stones, right? Now, we all know that I'm not talking about rocks and glass, right? I'm talking about people. And I'm saying that people who judge others are often in danger of being judged themselves. So you should be careful with the stones or the words that you use. And what's amazing to me is that people all around the world, even not just American culture, but in every continent, we have these phrases. People just in general like to create these pictures that capture wisdom. So I wanted to share a few with you from around the world. In Africa, there's a proverb that says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent a night with a mosquito. (laughs) In France, there's a proverb that says, a bad carpenter always blames his tools. That one? A Chinese proverb, this one I like, it's very poetic. A bit of fragrance clings to the hand that gives flowers. Ah, yeah, that's a good one. And then there's an English proverb, which I can picture in the John Wayne movie. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? This is this idea that you can offer all the help in the world you want if someone asks it, but you can't make them take it. And you can't make them do anything they don't want to do, right? There's one phrase... All my career and probably to the end of my life will never fully understand, maybe because it's not meant to be clever. It's meant to tell the truth. And it's simply this. Many who are last will be first and many who are first will be last. Now, I I don't know about you, but I grew up in a world, but that wasn't what I was taught. Right. When I was on the kindergarten or on the recess, I was taught that whoever kicks the ball the farthest or runs the fastest is the one who gets there first, and that is the winner. Well, what do you call the person who gets there at the end? The loser, right? That's not what this says. This is, this is not meant to be clever. This is meant to be truthful. Imagine a world where many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. I want you to picture for a second. I just want you to sort of picture in your mind. This is not about when you're in the grocery line and someone behind you has less things and you say, oh, you know, the last will be first. I want you to go in front of me. This is more than that. This is not when you're in traffic and someone wants to get out and you let them in. This is about changing the world. I want you to picture for just a second that your favorite football team. Even if you're not a fan of football, pretend you are. Just imagine that your favorite team goes to the Super Bowl this year, the biggest game of the year. Only two make it. Your team is one. 
right? So you're at the Super Bowl, and by some miraculous gift, a friend has extra tickets. You get invited. This is like the greatest time of your life. You go to the Super Bowl. Seats are fantastic. Your team blows out the other team. It's not even close. And you are celebrating among all the people. Can't wait to get home and tell everybody what it was like. And then the announcer comes on and says, you may have uh, heard it said before that those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. So we're going to try something new this year. We're going to make the losing team the Super Bowl champion. Just think about it for a minute. It's just a football game. But can you imagine the news cycle that that would create? Imagine when presidential elections come that we choose the person who's the most humble instead of the person who cuts everybody else down. What would that look like? Imagine when Congress gets together, they make rules based on what's best for everyone, not just for a certain few, right? It's not meant to be a clever saying. It's just the truth. And I try to picture in my life, what would this, what would this look like? What does this mean for us? When Jesus says that, he doesn't just say, someday this will be. He says, now. This is the kingdom of God. Now. So you can imagine when Jesus says this to the disciples, they don't, they don't get it. They don't even really fully understand what he's saying. When he says to James and John, many are first will be last and many are last will be first, they're quick to run in, but they don't really know what it is that they're willing to be part of. Jesus says to them in the passage today, there'll come a time when we will suffer. There'll even come a time when I suffer. And you know what James and John say? The first thing they say is, we want to be first in line. We want to sit right next to you when you are in glory. We want to be at the left and the right. Jesus says to them, you don't really know what you're asking. And then the disciples get mad because they say, what right do you have to be first before us? Why should we be last and you be first? So where does this passage come from? It comes right before this conversation that James and John. So I want to take you back for a second just to feel where is this conversation coming from? We go back just a little bit in the chapter to see what conversations were happening before James and John step up to Jesus. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could bless and touch them. And Jesus scolded. The disciples scolded the parents for bothering them. And Jesus saw what was happening. He was angry. And he said, let them come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, if anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms, the least of these, and he blessed them. And when Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was the rich man in our world, the first among the many. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. 
You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat and honor your father and mother. Where did those come from? Ten Commandments. You know the rules. The teacher, he replied, I've obeyed all these since I was young. And looking at the man and feeling genuine love for him, Jesus said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all that you have and give money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Become the least among these people. And you will be the first. The man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. And then Jesus says again, as if they didn't hear it, Dear children, he's speaking to the disciples, Children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And then Peter said, we've given up everything to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. That part's easy to read over. You will receive now everything you've given along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem important now will be the greatest. The translation of many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, and Disciples were filled with awe, and the people behind them were overwhelmed with fear. And taking the disciples aside, Jesus once more described what was about to happen. He said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed by the leading priests and the teachers of law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Now, that's a lot of conversation, right? That's a lot of messages. What would you think if you had heard all those things and Jesus said, these are the things that are going to happen to me. Now, this is when James and John says, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And he says, what do you want? He says, we want to be part of that. We want to be first in line to be part of that with you. And Jesus says, you haven't been listening. You don't even know what you're asking. Now, James and John were very loved by Jesus, and he had a nickname for them. He called them Sons of Thunder. You ever had that kind of friend that just sort of rushes into things and sort of thinks later about what's happening? Well, this is James and John. They are sons of thunder. They are ready to take on anything they can 
So Jesus says, are you able to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with this suffering? Oh, yes, we're able. And then Jesus said, you will drink from my cup and be baptized, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or left. God has prepared those places for the ones he's chosen. When the other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were angry. What right do you have to take a place before us? What makes you think you will be first and we should be last? Like they still didn't really understand what was being said. Right? Jesus said, you know the rulers of this world will lord it over their people, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For I came not to serve, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom to many. One of the things that we experience in the church is we talk a lot about suffering, and there's a lot of things that happen to us in life. As Brooke shared with you, I'm a hospital chaplain. Suffering is the language that I talk with people all week long. There are different ways to approach suffering. A lot of times in the church, we want to do suffering that is meaningful. We want to choose the path that we take. I'm okay to spend time with these people as long as I know that it will be a safe and meaningful experience for me, right? Serving in a soup kitchen is a wonderful way to serve others. But what if somebody came to you on the street and asked you for food? Often the suffering that we have is not always something we expect, We almost have to have in our heart a preparation for the moment because we won't always have a chance to decide, is this suffering that I should endure or is this something I shouldn't, right? When Jesus tells the people this is going to happen, they are ready. They want to be part of something that they think they understand. But Jesus is saying to them, there's going to come a time when you will suffer. You might not even be prepared for it. It may catch you off guard. One of the things I experience during the week a lot is I walk into rooms with people I don't even know, and I'm never quite sure exactly what I'm going to be seeing. They don't know who I am. I don't know who they are. But together we discuss this experience that we have, and most of these people were not prepared. They don't glorify the suffering. They don't romanticize it. They don't think to themselves, I'm so glad I'm here experiencing this. They They find themselves in a moment where something has caught them off guard and suffering often comes in a way that we don't prepare. The question that the gospel asks us is who will we be in the moment when we don't have time to think about it, right? When the suffering comes to us, it doesn't always come in the shape of a beautiful proverb. It might come just as our witness to call. When James and John begin this process, they don't know what it is they're taking on. Later in life, we learn from the book of Acts that James was the first to be martyred for his faith. He was the first to die among them. 
when Jesus said, there will come a time when you will take this on, he didn't know what that meant. But James grew in his faith and he learned to understand there was a place for this, but it wasn't the way he prepared. John was later exiled later in life. He even wrote a story you may have read, the book of Revelation. He was given the gift to tell the end of the story. But neither one of them knew when they started what it was they were being asked to do. But they were ready to rush in and do it. But Jesus said to them, your time will come. You will learn. Now, let me ask you, have any of you ever experienced suffering in here? Right? Did it always feel meaningful? Right? There are, there are just moments in life where... I hear people all week long. I don't know why this is happening to me. What is it about what is happening? But then I meet people who have already decided before the event that God is a big part of their life and they are willing to say, God will take care of me. And those are the ones that confuse everyone else, right? Those are the ones that get... A lot of visits from staff because they're intrigued to hear what is it this person knows. This person over here is complaining, but this one over here is happy. She's saying to people, I trusted my God. It's a Catholic hospital. We embrace the faith. And so we hear that a lot. You walk in a room and people will say, I trust. Now it's easy to say, well, they just don't understand. But a lot of times they do. This may be after the doctors come in the room and told them, and I'll follow, and they'll say, I am at peace because I know that God will take care of me. We are not always prepared. The suffering will not always feel like a glorious moment. But I want you to imagine what it would look like in our world when the first or last and the last or first, when we... Maybe you're on one and become the other. I want to share with you a story. In 2016, there was a national news that came out of the Rio Olympics. Now, the Olympics, as we all know, are all about whoever is the first among the first, right? These are the elite people. There were two runners that were running a second heat in the 1600. I'm sorry, the 5,000 meter, which is 3.1 miles. And these two runners were a part of a pack. Um, they were running together. And as you can imagine, when people are running very close to each other at fast speed, you have to be very careful how close you are to each other. Well, you can imagine this is what happened. So these two people trained for years. What happened is that for whatever reason, one of them tripped And the other, because she was so close to her, came flying up on her and just simply could not maintain control. And they both landed square on the track. Okay. One's name was Abby Agostino. She's an American. The other was Nikki Hamlin. She was from New Zealand. The world was watching. What happened next was that Abby was the first to get up. Nikki was the first to fall Abby was the second. Abby got up and grabbed the other person. And she said to her, get up, we have to finish this together. Now, Nikki later said she didn't even know what happened. 
Abby just grabbed her and said, let's go, we got to do this. What we didn't know is Abby had torn her ACL and her meniscus. Those of you who know what that means can feel that. No support in her knee whatsoever. She tried to run, and this is what began to happen. They both finished the race. Nikki went ahead and was amazingly only one minute behind the lead runner. Abby, on a torn knee, was two minutes. She ran a mile on a knee that couldn't even support itself. But on the way out, she asked to grab Nikki by the forearm and just embraced her and said to her how important it was that they both finished the race together. Both of them were out. Absolutely no hope for Olympic dreams. In fact, it would take both of them a couple of years just to recover. Both of them have sustained energies, injuries from the event. This is the two of them together. Now, they asked him after the interview, because this was like the biggest story of the Rio Olympics. They asked him later to sort of describe for them what they were thinking. And they said that 10 days before the race, Abby, who's on the left, she took part in a Bible study about the power of miracles. And before she stepped to the line on the race, she wrote this verse on her hand, something she'd done before. It was a Bible verse, and she wrote, Now to him who is able. It comes from Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That was at the beginning of the race. I don't think Abby ever anticipated what was going to happen after that. They asked Nikki, who was the first to fall, what, what did you think was happening? And she said, I say it jokingly, but not like I could possibly still be laying there on the track if Abby had not done that. Like, I don't know if she hadn't done that, whether I would be able to get up and finish the race. She said, that was the thing that you need to bring you back into the real world. Instead of being in shock, it was, hey, get up. You have to get up and you have to finish and you have to honor what the Olympic is. That's what was happening right here. Abby said, because of so many things that were working in my life to prepare my heart to respond that way, I was able to show off the character of love and sacrifice that is natural only to God. Wow. You don't see that in this picture, right? She said, I think the qualities that people see as heroic and altruistic, those come from God. I'm glad he chose me to be an instrument of that and react that way in that moment. I don't think she was thinking this is going to make great television. And she was thinking, this is who God called me to be, and this is what I'm going to do. And I don't have time. We were talking seconds. I don't have time to think about it. I just have to do what I know I'm called to do. Now, here's the thing. What would you say was their standing in the race by the world standards? They were last, right? Absolutely no chance at winning. 
This picture was taken with him together because they were both awarded an elite sportsman medal by the Olympic Fair Play Committee. That year, there were about 500 medals given out among all the teams. They received a medal that has only been given out 17 times since 1964 when it was first created. It's only given to people who demonstrate the exceptional quality of what it means to be a true Olympian. One writer wrote that they ended up, because of this, getting a medal that is way harder to ever earn than a gold medal in the Olympics. Sometimes we see in a world what it looks like for the last to be first. It was such a shock to the world that this is still one of the primary stories of that Olympics. Even Abby joked, I hope someday I'll be known as a girl that did something other than falling on the track, right? There are examples all around this that sometimes they confound us what this means. But in these moments, when we're given the opportunity to be who we are, we have to know who we are when the time comes. Nikki, who said, I don't know what I was going to do. And Abby said, I already knew what was written on my hand. That's what I was going to do. Right? We are called together to this table to participate in sacrifice. And it may well be that there are things that we're brought into that we're not even ready or even sure what that means. It's okay. God will provide whatever it is we need. We just have to be ready when the time comes. The world will not understand what we do. We may not understand what we do. I can't tell you the number of times I go into a room and I, I'm with a patient and I think to myself, I don't even know what to say. And then later on, the patient tells the nurse, that was such a helpful visit. I don't know what it was I did. I only know what I was asked to do and I provided what I was given. Every one of us, when we leave this place, will be given opportunities. They may seem small, they may be big, but our role is to show, not to demonstrate, but to show by our character what it looks like for the last to be first and the first to be last, for us to suffer for the gospel and for us to believe that we do that because somebody did it for us. I pray today that you will find peace and that you will know when you come to this table, this is an invitation not only to share in together, but share in the sacrifice, this thing that James and John were so quick to have. Maybe they knew something, but we are still learning together. When James and John were provided their greatest work, they had matured in life and probably spent many years practicing this. Maybe not always knowing they were doing it. It's important for us to be ready. Because things will happen, often without warning. And if Nikki had gotten up and run away from that race, this would not have been told. Only by staying in the moment will you demonstrate the story. Ask for a moment as you join, if you'll pray with me as we prepare for the table.
We thank you, Father, for today, and I pray that you will bless each of us as we are empowered in our own life to serve you in all the ways you would have. Uh, I pray that if you call us, that you prepare us and provide us the things we need and give us confidence to know you know where we are led and you know where we need to be. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.